0: So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guide your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Thank you, Joel. If you want to give up your day job, you could be a radio announcer. (laughs) Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, TCC. Hope you're having a good summer and uh, enjoying the summer because it's quickly, well, you know what, dissipating on us. Uh, We had uh, a great week in Michigan, and uh, I always love to go to Michigan to see our daughter of course and son-in-law and grandchildren but it's always fun to keep up with the church that they attend there because they started almost the same time we started as Terwilliger Community Church uh, but they're just at the point now where the the uh, caterpillars are coming in and the land scrapers and uh, they're clearing the land and uh, they've bought four and a half acres of land and they're just about ready to start to build so about a year from now they'll probably be in their new facility and they're so pumped and it brought back all the memories that uh, that we've shared as we have journeyed together uh, here at uh, TCC just a little update with respect to Southwest Uh, church uh, plant over there in Southwest is doing really well Uh, we've had very strong attendance even in the summertime new people who are coming to be a part of uh, the ministry there from the neighborhood uh, so thank you for praying. Really, just awesome. Thank you for praying for the ministry at Southwest. It seems to be healthy, and uh, God, is, uh, God is doing good things there. Well, you've never been asked a question like this before. You've had to navigate some tough ones, like, uh, do you think we really have a football team that will uh, go the distance? tough questions. Are you prepared for uh, the next grade? When it's time to go back to school? Sorry about mentioning that word. What will be my career path? Who will you marry? We have four children. Would you like to adopt two more? Sizable questions. They're questions that set the direction for your whole life. I mean, you've been asked some big questions, but, but none like this one. This question has teeth to it because it comes from Jesus. You might brace yourself because here it comes. It comes from Jesus, and it's a question for you. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Jesus, are you serious? It's obvious He is serious. He means it. He speaks the words uh, out on the, 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 the storm of life, out on the rocky, billowy Sea of Galilee. He asks that question. Why are you afraid? The boat is about to be swamped and yet this is his question. Why are you afraid? Now imagine how that question hits the disciples. I mean here's this big storm and they feel like life is coming to a conclusion and it's all over and you ask, Why are you afraid? Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're all going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he aimed his words right at the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not know who I am? We do get tested along life's journey. Many people have the idea that storms come to their lives only when they have disobeyed God. It's not always the case. Yes, Jonah ended up in a storm because of his, dis- uh, his disobedience. But the disciples got into a storm because of their obedience to the Lord. Remember, the Lord said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Did they know the storm was coming? Of course, of course. The storm was part of that day's curriculum. It would help the disciples understand a lesson that they needed to learn. That Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. The storm uh, described in Mark 4 must have been especially fierce if it frightened experienced uh, fishermen like the disciples. The disciples were absolutely stressed out with the storm that was upon them. Well, isn't there good reason to be afraid? And that's the question that we're asking today around the world. Are you feeling the vibes? We all are. We're feeling the vibes of. This world, it is like the Sea of Galilee. Don't you want to say to, to the world, take a chill pill, world? We say that to one another. Whoa, it's just a game. Slow down. Take a chill pill. And then I discovered this week that there actually is a chill pill that you can take. We, we've been speaking metaphorically, but turns out there actually is a chill pill. And I think somebody came on to a great marketing idea. It's a herbal pill, a natural herbal pill to brighten your mood and to relieve stress. So you can take a chill pill after all. You can go out and buy one. Why are you afraid? There was a funeral for Heather Meyer this week. She's only 32. She felt like she should be in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, last Saturday... Someone by the name of James Field uh, should have had a chill pill because he gunned his car and ran into a crowd of protesters. Many were injured and Heather lost her life. You know, when you're fighting fires, uh, as we all know so well this year I suppose, at least in uh, beautiful British Columbia, you, you think the fire is out in a particular area, but firefighters stay behind to keep pouring water on the hot spots because they're not quite out. They look like they're out, but they're not quite out, and they can just flare back up again. Didn't you think the fire of racial inequality was out a long time ago? We, we kind of thought this is no longer a 21st century issue, only to find out that there are hot spots all over the world that continue to ignite and flare up and bring tremendous unrest and worry to people. Take a chill pill world. But the years and the years of prejudice and hatred are slow to die. And suddenly white supremacy feels a wind stoking its agenda and just away it flares up again. How could it happen in 2017 Wherever we turn today, we find people who are afraid, and they're angry, and their lives seem out of control, and their core values are rapidly eroding. Last weekend at the Leadership Summit, we were reminded of the Rwandan genocide back in 1994. In just 100 days, some 800,000 people were slaughtered in Rwanda by ethnic Hutu extremists. About 85% of Rwandans are Hutus. But the Tutsi minority has long dominated the country politically. But on the night of April the 6th, 1994, a plane carrying the president was shot down, and that sparked the overthrow of the government and the well-organized plan to slaughter uh, the Tutsis in the country. And they went from house to house. It had been well thought through, it had been well-scheduled and planned, and they went from house to house, wherever there was a Tutsi family, they were all murdered, they were all slaughtered. And that incredible hatred and fear was released and it has forever changed a nation. Well, from a prison in Rome comes this word from Paul. I mean, every generation, no matter what the generation has gone through, has appreciated this assuring word. And it speaks to us Today, we need to hear this word today, and it flows into a hundred different contexts. I pray that if if you've just kind of read this a thousand times, that you just imagine that this is the first time that you're hearing these words of Scripture from the Apostle Paul. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now remember the context Paul is in prison in Rome, saying these words to a church 700 miles away, four months away by walking. Paul himself is staring down the barrel of extermination, he and his faith. If the Roman emperor Nero has his way, there will be no church left. He would like to obliterate it. So it's this man who writes these words to his friends in Philippi, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank Him for all that He's done. Now, you can be assured that Paul was doing the very thing in his own life that he was writing about and telling others to do. That he was praying about everything. Because the fasten your seat uh, seat belt sign was on in his life. There was great turbulence in his life. But Paul was thanking God. He was just thanking God for all he had done. And he was experiencing God's peace. How do you get the seatbelt light to come off in your life when you're experiencing turbulence? Well, Paul has the best advice you'll find anywhere in the world. And it's right here. And it works. If you've tried it, you know it works. The text is straightforward, Philippians 4, verses 6 to 9. First of all, centering our hearts on God. We might just call it prayer. But there's a danger that we will not really understand how this takes place. So it's being a little more specific. The imperative is here is don't worry about anything. I won't ask you to put up your hand, but let me ask you. Are you feeling rather anxious these days? A little bit worried? The acid flows in your stomach? Seatbelt sign on? Perhaps we try to dodge the question. But no, just being straightforward here this morning with you, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? I'm asking myself the question too. What is worry? The Greek word translated anxious in some of our versions means to be pulled in different directions like like a a tug-of-war, like the hopes and dreams and aspirations that we have trying to go this way, and yet the fears and the worries that we have are tugging us this way. The old English root from which we get our word worry means to to actually to strangle. And that's an apt description because worry feels like it suffocates us, it strangles us. We we can't breathe, we can't sleep, it affects our body, it gives us a headache, it gives us an ulcer, it gives us back pain. And worry is a thief. It robs us. Worry is an inside job. Stealing from ourselves. Stealing our joy. Stealing our peace. Stealing our health. Stealing our relationships. And listen, fear is the silent destroyer of dreams. You know, God gives us a dream. God gives us a dream of where we should go and what we should do and where we should be. And suddenly fear appears and says, you can't do that. You can't do that. You shouldn't even try it. You can't. You can't. You should never try it. Fear starts to bring attention to self. Hey, you'll look like a failure. Hey, do you want to look like a failure? Just keep on that path and you're going to look like a failure. Worry and fear are thieves. They're out to take as much from us as they possibly can. But Paul says we can catch the thief. We can lock him up for the rest of our lives. Well, I love that. But how? How? Don't worry about anything. <laughs> what? Suddenly we're out in the boat again with the wind and the water ready to swamp our boat. Don't worry about anything. I mean with one brush Paul just just covers every part of your life. Not bad eh for just one Don't worry about anything. Just one brush. We got it all covered. Don't worry about anything. What's left to worry about? Nothing. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Now there's a lot that's summarized under the word prayer. What is prayer? And, and a lot of uh, things that take different forms. It could be adoration. It might be confession. It might be thanksgiving and supplication or requests. And you know how, how prayer could be divided up. So Paul is specific on the requests and the thanksgiving. So in his threefold description of prayer, we, we believe the first part is a reference to worship and adoration. Whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God and worship him. Adoration is what is needed. Prayer is what is needed. Rejoice, like we read in the fourth verse. So worship allows us to get some perspective. It's like Peter stepping out of the boat when he looked down and he saw the turbulent sea, he got nervous. But then when he looked up and he saw Jesus walking on the water, he got confident. And friends, isn't that why Sunday worship is just one piece of our journey, but it's so important to be here on a Sunday morning uh, as a follower of Christ because we all tend to kind of Drift a little bit during the week. We tend to get our eyes onto our problems and not on God. And, and when we come together as the, the body of Christ, uh, we, we get our focus again. And the Holy Spirit is always faithful to readjust our vision. And of course, I don't mean just Sunday, but life groups and small groups, home groups, personal times with the Lord. When you worship, You just kind of get that focus from the water back onto who Jesus is. The one who's able to handle the storm. So worship refocuses us. It adjusts our thinking. It brings us back to what's true. We worship a God who is awesome. We worship a great God. And soon I begin to realize, Ah, I've been looking at my own problems. I've been looking at my own needs. And I've been forgetting to to look about the God of, of my worship. But you say, don't we have to look at the problems? You have to be realistic. And yes, maybe we need to take inventory of our fears. What am I actually afraid of? Maybe we need to think about that. What am I really worried about? And sometimes the way we live our lives and the way we, we, we lead is driven by fears and insecurities. Let's put that on the table in our hearts. Let's just call it out and call it for what it is. What am I worried about? And when we can see it for what it is and then take our eyes from the problem to our God, we get perspective. It just looks different in the light of who God is. Sometimes we just have to verbalize it. We just have to say it out loud. I'm afraid of this. And when we hear the words, and then we look at Jesus, we catch ourselves and I say, what am I doing here? So when worry comes to visit, the first thing is to worship. Because when you worship, you gain perspective. And you gain faith. And you gain trust. And you gain confidence. So worship, praising Him, adoring Him, honoring the one who is the Lord of all. Honor Him, praise Him, call it out to Him. Remind yourself that He is more than able. Remind yourself that that this is not catching Him off guard. The second thing is to tell God what you need. I love it here. Just so simple. Paul says, tell God what you need. What's on your heart? Present your request to God. Let your request be made known to God. Literally, it means reveal the mystery of your requests. Something that unfolds that was previously not known. The idea here is not to inform God. He, he doesn't need to be informed. But to discover what it is that you're really after. And to verbalize it to God. What are you really after? Learn and unearth what it is you fear and what it is that you desire, and say it, tell it. The focus here is revealing what's on the inside of us. Pour out your heart to God. And a good, a good example, a biblical example, is Hannah. She wanted a son, you remember the story, and she was praying to the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and Eli the priest was watching her, and she was in such distress of heart and, and she he thought she had been drinking. No, she said, I haven't been drinking wine. I'm discouraged. I'm in distress and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Oh, Eli said, I didn't know. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began to eat again, and it says she was no longer sad. What did she do? She verbalized it. She put it on the table. She said what was deep within her, and then she could go away and she would have peace and know that this man of God was praying for her. God was hearing her prayers. When we're able to discover and give to God those deep, otherwise unknown desires, something happens. Lord, I need a job. What are you afraid of? Nothing. I, what if you don't get a job? Well, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for my reputation. I mean, I need to have a job. And then you hear God whisper, I can handle that. I love you. Haven't I always taken care of you? In your prayers of uncertainty, pray this, Lord, I need you to, if you don't, I'm afraid. This is about placing into God's hands what only God's hands are capable of of handling. So be very honest, transparent before God. What are you afraid of? What's down deep? Get it out. Verbalize it. Tell God your fears. Put it right into his hands. And then it says, thank him for all he's done. Thank him for all he's done. That's the third part of prayer. It's quite amazing. Uh, Written from the hand of Paul. In the midst of worship, in the midst of laying out your heart and asking him, be careful to thank him for all that he has done. What a great thing to start every day off by just saying thank you. Start your prayers by saying thank you. Start your day by saying thank you. You know when you're being thankful, you're really worshiping. The hound of worry was snapping at Paul's heels. (laughs) The hounds were after him. Fear, uncertainty about the future, persecution, physical disease, mental anguish, what was going to happen to him. And yet he says, be careful to thank him for all he's done. The father enjoys hearing his children say thank you. When Jesus healed ten lepers, only one of the ten returned to give thanks. Only one. Is the percentage about the same today? How's the percentage in our own lives? Every day do we stop for a moment to say, thank you, Lord, your good, good father. You've been so good to me. Look at all I have because of you. I so appreciate it. I'm alive today. Thank you for another day to live and know your heart and serve you. Thank you, Lord. And all of this together is prayer, worship, letting God know our hearts, our requests, our thanksgiving. And together they have a terrific result, peace. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And you know, sometimes the external doesn't change a whole lot, but the internal is quite different. It's a quiet confidence that it appears, that comes to your heart and your life, and you say, I don't, I don't get it, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. It's the peace of God. It's the peace of God. The seatbelt sign comes off when we pray. There is a peace that is beyond comprehension, you know what I'm talking about. When you experience that, you say with Paul, I felt that too. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I would have expected to be really uptight about this, but this peace, this amazing peace fills my heart. It's the peace of God. can't buy it. You can't borrow it. It's a gift. But it comes through prayer. Peace that is grounded in the fact that God is in control. It's an inside job. It's an incredible piece that passes understanding. So the seatbelt sign comes off when, when we pray. Secondly, and briefly, monitoring our thoughts. Here it is in verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 8. It's just so loaded. And the bottom line here is that you are what you think. You are what you think. The body of evidence grows almost daily, yet we all have to kind of discover it for ourselves. You are what you think. Sour attitudes create sour souls and sour bodies. Bitterness, self-pity distorts living and clouds perspective. We have to be careful with our thoughts so that they experience God's peace. If not, we open our hearts door to be robbed. There's a lot of power in a thought Maybe that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10:5 that we must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our thoughts control us. Ralph Emerson said, "You become what you think about all day long." Kind of scary. You become what you think about all day long. What if you're thinking negative? What if you're thinking unhelpful? What if you're thinking impure? or violent thoughts. You become that. King Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What do you think about all day? When you wake up in the morning, what thoughts go through your mind? How you think during the first few minutes of the day can set the pace for the whole day. You begin each day by saying, this is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm I'm above ground, my heart is still beating, so it's a great day. I've got many things to look forward forward to. Today, I'm gonna make progress on, on my problems. Today, God will be with me every step of the way. Today, God will cause all things to work together for good. Today, God will give me the opportunity to serve Him in some capacity. Today, I'll encourage my family. Today I'll show God's love to everyone I meet. I mean, do you see how empowering that is? If you point your thoughts in the right direction at the beginning of each day, you squeeze out worry. What should I think about? Well, Paul gives eight filters to run your thoughts through. And those are wonderful filters uh, that will cause us to reject many of the impure polluted thoughts that come into our our mind. This summer I've been reading uh, Eugene Peterson's latest book. And he says it's his last book. Uh, It's got an interesting title, As Kingfisher's Catch Fire. Read the whole book, and I haven't quite figured out how the title connects with the whole book, but uh, uh, it's a great book. And he tells this story. He said, I read a report in the New York Times of a British gentleman who had purchased his first Rolls Royce, and he could find nothing in the advertising materials that told him the horsepower of the engine. On making inquiries, he learned that... Sorry, I think I did that. Uh, he said it was not the policy of the Rolls-Royce company to, to reveal the, the horsepower of any of its automobiles. The man, though, was rather curious because uh, he had laid out a considerable amount of money and he thought he was entitled to know what the horsepower was. So he wrote the company and he asked them to provide him with this piece of information. In a few days, a note was delivered to his house with a single-worded answer, only one word, Adequate. Adequate. Like if you only knew how much horsepower is there. Let's just say adequate. I find the same confidence in the New Testament. There's no frenzied advertising. There's no boasting. Rather, there is the sureness and the ease of persons who through long experience are sure of where they are in relationship to their God. And when they talk about who they are in God and what God has done in their lives, they always say, adequate. But they say it with not just the same adequate tone that's, oh, it's just adequate. But you'll just never know. It's just more than adequate. there is so much there. So Paul reminds us that our Lord is so adequate. He's so adequate. So whatever you're facing this morning, just center your thoughts on Him alone. And then monitor your thoughts. Monitor your thoughts. Move into an offensive posture, not a defensive posture. And it's just the best chill pill in the world because this world is getting more and more turbulent as the days and months and years go by. It's the best chill pill in the world that as the waves beat down and the winds blow that God gives to us the chill pill of peace. Beautiful, awesome peace. So let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we sing We sing the song you're our shelter in the time of storm and we sing that you're our peace and you're our sure foundation because Lord you are the anchor you are the solid rock so Lord you see us all this morning you know us and you you have a word uh, in this text this morning for us to just hang on to teach us to refocus and help us to see you as the one who walks on the water and reaches out your hand to us so help us just to lift up our eyes to you take your hand and walk with you and trust you that the one who knows us best will never let us down lord this morning our world is just bombarded with all kinds of fears and with lots of anger We. Lord, we just uh, pray for one another. Uh, we, We pray for a hurting world. Many who don't know your peace have never come to understand your love and your forgiveness and your grace. So Lord, help us to be impactful because we live around people who do not know you. So give us perspective, Lord, to make a difference as we impact a fearful world. Fill us with courage. Fill us with deep love for one another. And may our steps be filled with peace and the fruit of the Spirit, because we pray in Jesus' name.